book of Malachi, right before the Gospel of Matthew, last book uh, in the Old Testament and uh, our English Bibles, how they're arranged. He's not the Italian prophet Malachi, but Malachi. Actually, the word Malachi means messenger. Um, uh, my messenger is what it means. So it's both a name and a description. Malachi is um, a prophet who's speaking to God's people uh, some uh, 400 years or so before Jesus. And we've been going through this book and learning about um, wonderful truths that in this time that Malachi is speaking to God's people, they are asleep uh, spiritually, and so he's waking them up. God is waking them up through Malachi, and so we're learning about that. And Oh, by the way, uh, I didn't introduce myself. If you're a guest, welcome. My name is Paul Buckley, and one of the pastors here. And, uh, and it is our habit as a church to be in God's Word as part of our worship. We hear God, and He speaks to us. He's the living God, and He's given us His Word. Uh, his Word is living and active. And part of encountering Him means hearing Him from His Word. So my role as a pastor is to help teach and proclaim His Word. And so we are going through this, this great book of Malachi. We'll be in chapter 2 today, and the title is Wake Up, He Deserves Good Leaders. And uh, that's not a slight against any representative from uh, the House of Representatives. It's just a funny photo, I think, of a leader who's asleep uh, during debate. And, but from what I know, these guys will debate late into the night, so I would probably be doing the same. But the title of the message is Wake Up, He Deserves Good Leaders. Malachi chapter 2, 1 through 9. And as you turn there, um, I, as I prepare this message, was thinking about leaders in my life, and, and I remember vividly one of the first Christian leaders that I knew as a young Christian. I had come to faith in Christ. I knew about Christ, but I came to faith in Christ at the end of high school, so just a few months before college. Uh, I went to college and, uh, as a freshman at UMass Amherst back in the uh, early 80s, uh, ZooMass as it's sometimes called, and probably was aptly named that back then especially. I was a new believer wondering how I was going to navigate at UMass. And I had gone to UMass before to visit, before I knew Christ, and had been involved in lots of wild stuff. So I was kind of thinking, how am I going to do this thing? Uh, go to this university and try to navigate what it means to follow Christ here. I was nervous about that, and God brought people into my life. The ministry of the navigators uh, at UMass was significant. And in particular, a leader in the navigators, a man uh, named Joe Bova. And Joe Bova was a young man himself, recently graduated from college, on staff with the Navigators, working as a CPA as well at the same time. And he took me under his wing, and he taught me how to study God's Word, uh, how to apply it, how to believe it and apply it. And he also modeled for me what it looked like to be somebody who followed the Lord, who put his faith in the Lord and the good news of Christ crucified and risen, uh, and who followed wholeheartedly. And in and, and a even to this day, I can think of, as I tell the story, I think of Joe, and, uh, and I can see him beaming and, and animated, trying to tell me some new truth or communicate some new truth that he had learned from God's Word or just some new story of God's activity, maybe bringing someone to faith in Christ. I can see Joe uh, and, and the impact of his life, what he modeled and what he taught uh, is significant in my life. I'm here in many ways because of Joe and actually a line of leaders and pastors over the years who were very much like Joe and bringing the truth of God's Word and modeling what it looks like to, to believe and 
to follow. So I am so grateful. And, and, and really, in many ways, my role now as the pastor is because of these other leaders. Um, and this is part of God's plan. This is how God does His work. This is how God brings His kingdom to bear on the earth uh, in many ways, but the, but the role of leaders is very significant. And so we're going to uh, dive into Malachi chapter 2 and learn about the importance of leaders. And in particular, what's going on here in this section we'll see is, is the leaders are failing. And God knows how important it is for the sake of His people and the fame of His name that leaders not fail. And so He's going to address the leaders. He's going to call them to wake up and see who He is and therefore be the leaders that uh, He wants for His glory and for His people. So let's pray. We'll read it and learn from God. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your wisdom of Your design and, and Your church, Your people, and how You're working in and through them to the nations um, in so many wonderful ways. And we thank You for Your design of how You use leaders uh, in Your church to guide and shepherd and care for Your church. And I pray You would help me to proclaim Your truth today. We would learn from You about this. And Lord, we would have our, our thinking and even our lives shifted, uh, perhaps slightly or even significantly, uh, in light of the truth in this passage. Thank You that You don't leave us alone, that You bring Your Word and You instruct us through Your Word and it brings life and fruitfulness. So do that and glorify Your worthy name this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Follow along with me, Malachi chapter 2, verses 1-9. through 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to My name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave it to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, and as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. God's word, his very words from Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So, following the theme of Malachi, God is addressing his people. He's addressing His people because they've lost sight of who God is and what it means to belong to Him and how we ought to live and respond to that. And now, uh, as He's doing that, He's addressing priests. We 
started early on, the very beginning of chapter 1. He's addressing the whole of Israel and he's uh, calling them to remember and see how much he loves them. And in light of that, have themselves revived. We looked at last time in the, the second part of chapter 1 uh, that God is worthy. He's great. He's worthy of our very best. And so he's calling them to wake up and to give their very best because God is worthy of the very best. And now in chapter 2, he's calling the, the leaders, the priests, the Levites, um, to honor the Lord with their leadership. He's worthy of good leaders. They had fallen away from that. And God is on a rescue mission through Malachi to His people to rescue them from substandard leadership because He's worthy of good leaders. And so we're, we're going to learn as we dig into this uh, what it says. I think it calls us to expect uh, that that. God would have good leaders because He's worthy. And that we would learn about that, what it looks like, what they do, and would settle for nothing less. So, so this is not just a lesson to leaders, though it is. It's a lesson to all of us to understand um, what the Lord wants and what the Lord deserves in His church. And so we would be a part of praying and asking and acting and expecting that God would raise up and use such leaders because He's worthy of truly good leaders. So let's dig in. We're going to look at Uh, three different aspects from the passage. First, I want to talk about that uh, church leaders are messengers of God Himself. We're we're to wake up. He's worthy of good leaders who are messengers of God Himself. Now this is in verse 7. And you might be thinking, okay, why are we starting in verse 7? Because it starts with 1. And it goes through 9. We're jumping to the middle. And I want to start with verse 7 because verse 7 actually is kind of a core argument in what Malachi is saying. So I want to take you through kind of the, the logic of what he's saying and help you see that indeed verse 7 is a core thing. So just look with me. Uh, if you have your Bible in your hand, do that. Um, just follow along. Uh, and you could actually put point number one up there with that verse there. That would be great if you don't have a Bible. Uh, so just following the logic of this section, verses 1 and 2, God is calling the, the priests, the leaders, to take to heart uh, God's call to them to honor Him. So to take to heart what he's saying, this command to respond to him. So he's saying, listen up guys. You need to listen and understand and follow through with what I'm saying. So he's getting their attention. And then he says, if you don't, I'm going to bring the curse on you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. There's going to be repercussions if you don't listen to me. So there's a problem. You need to listen up. And if you don't, there's going to be repercussions. There's going to be a a curse that's going to come. And then uh, it's even more than that. He uses very... very, uh, lively language that he's going to metaphorically smear dung on their faces. And this this dung would have been, uh, it's also the word awful, basically O-F-F-A-L. It's the innards of their sacrifices. And it's the stuff that's in like the large intestine, which is dung, right? Uh, So it's gross stuff. And the point isn't that God's being gross. Uh, It's a shameful thing uh, for the priests actually to touch this part of the animal. And 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 uh, it's meant to be taken outside the camp. So God's basically saying with very strong uh, lively language that you're going to be shamed. You're going to be shamed in front of everybody. Uh, you're going to be cast out of the camp. So that's what he's saying. He's warning them. There's going to be a curse. There's going to be this, th- these repercussions. Uh, and, and, and he's calling them then in, in verses 4-6 to six to come back to what they're supposed to be doing. So 4-6 through six is, is you guys are supposed to be living this way. Again, we'll talk about that. And then he comes to verse 7, and he says in verse 7, he starts the, the verse, for 
and, and then four, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. The people should seek instruction from his mouth. And then another four, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so when you say four, right, you're saying this is the ground of what I just said. Right? Here's all this stuff. You need to listen up. You need to honor my name. There's going to be a curse. There's going to be repercussions. Um, if you don't listen, I want you to live this way. This is why. And behind all that is this. For this. For this. So he's backing up to the very foundation here in verse 7. And that's why I'm putting it first because it's the core of the argument here. And therefore, the core of how God thinks about this. And therefore, the core of how we ought to think about leaders. So I want to present that first. That we would think about that. that this idea in verse 7 that the leader, the priests, are the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The, the one who is the great I Am who rules and reigns over the universe. The one who receives worship from myriads, 10,000 times 10,000 angels all the time who's worthy of all that. The Lord of hosts. You are the messenger of this great Lord of hosts as leaders. That's the core of why the leaders must act and respond in line with this. Now, a little background. He's speaking to the priests. And the priests in the tribe of Levi. This was a tribe among the twelve tribes who were designated to serve the Lord in the worship of God's people. And so they had various responsibilities in taking care of the temple and the sacrifices. Uh, they were to lead the people in the bringing of those sacrifices. That was their worship. That was uh, how their sins were covered before a holy God, they knew to know this holy God who loves them. They had to deal with their sin. God dealt with their sin through giving them the sacrificial system, ultimately pointing forward to Jesus who would be the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins, the fulfillment of the whole sacrificial system. But there was a way for them to express their faith in these sacrifices saying, Lord, we seek Your forgiveness. A way to say, Lord, thank You for Your goodness to, to bring their offerings of thanksgiving. And then their prayers. It was a place where they go to pray and seek the presence of the Lord. Um, and so the Levites were responsible for overseeing that, leading that. Um, but also, there's a function that they have, not only to do all that, but to, to bring God's truth. Now, there are other leaders in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. Three key offices, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, and currently, they don't have a king. The king's job was to uh, oversee them in terms of governance and care and, and uh, oversight. The, prophet's job was to speak God's immediate word to them, to bring them God's truth for their particular immediate situations. In a Old Testament, it was a fully authoritative way, by the way. New Testament, it shifted. That's a whole other message. It doesn't have that authority. We prophesy in part. It doesn't have the same standard. If they, the prophets failed in the Old Testament, they were put to death. New Testament, if a prophet failed, we just say, I guess that wasn't a good one. We move on to the next one. So and you heard about that some weeks ago. Uh, but in the Old Testament, they were major leaders prophet, priest, and king. So the priests are part of that. And the priests bring the sacrifices and they are to bring God's Word as well to the people. Um, they are to bring instruction. So we see in Leviticus chapter 10, we can put this verse up, uh, the instruction Moses is given to the Levites, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the clean, unclean and clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So this is instruction to the Levites. You guys are to be the teachers of Israel. Um, Deuteronomy 31 as well talks about that. That they're to, bring, they're to take care of the law. Moses gives them the law. They're to steward the law. And then at least at the festivals, they're to, to read it. They are the stewards. They are the teachers of God's Word. And so that is their role. And, and that's to continue. Uh, 
in, in the time of Malachi, and, and we'll talk about the New Testament implications of that. But these guys are supposed to be instructors. They're to be the messengers of the Lord of hosts. They are to bring His Word to the people. They have a vital role for the, the life and mission of God's people in the Old Testament of bringing God's Word to them. This is well exemplified in, uh, by Ezra, who is actually a, a priest that served around the time of Malachi. We don't know exactly when Ezra and ne- we know Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporary, so you can read those books in Scripture. Great stories uh, about God using leaders, priests, and a, a king-like leader in Nehemiah. He's a governor to care for his people. We don't know exactly when Malachi was in relationship to them. It's around the same time. Um, some would say that uh, Malachi was before Ezra's full reforms came. And that kind of makes sense, actually. Because here we have Malachi, God speaking through Malachi to the priests to reform. And then in the book of Ezra, we see Ezra actually exemplifying that reform. And so Ezra is an instructor in the Word of the Lord. Uh, he exemplifies what priests are called to do. So Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, we read about this. Chapter 8, verses 1-8, through 8, we have this to project. It speaks of Ezra and doing his job, and and the difference it makes. It says, And all the people gathered as one man man into the square before the water gate. Sorry, let me stop and just say, uh, recognize while Ezra was doing this, the people were still kind of in the slumber that Malachi is addressing. And so God's solution in this chapter is say, you ought to do what you should do as, as Levites, as priests. And in Nehemiah, we see Ezra doing that, and then we see what happens. So, Keep that in mind as we read through. So the people gather and square before the water gate. This is, this is in uh, Jerusalem. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it. And then verse 7. Also Jesh- uh, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathiah, uh, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelida, uh, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. So Ezra's teaching it, and then there's Levites who are doing their jobs among the people, explaining and instructing them about the law. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So here in Nehemiah is Ezra doing his job. He's being the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He's speaking God's Word to the people because God wants to speak to His people. He wants to lead them in His uh, ways. He wants them to live in grace. He wants them to live in faith and obedience and fruitfulness. And so the role of the priest is vital in that. And we see the fruit, actually, as you follow along in Nehemiah. So if if you're there in your Bible, chapter 8, we'll continue verse 9. It says, "...and Nehemiah, who was the governor..." And Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. It's a wonderful picture of what happens when leaders do what they're supposed to do. 
They teach the Word. They are the messengers of the, of the Lord to the people. And God uses the, the teaching and proclamation of His Word to bring response. And there's revival basically going on. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah. The people had been in their slumber like we're seeing in Malachi. And as Ezra taught, it struck them to their hearts. And they repented and returned to the Lord. And, and it, it was, it was a, quite a scene because they're weeping. They're weeping as they hear because they realize we've fallen short. And our God's a great God. How could we do this? And they're returning to the Lord. They're turning from their sin and turning back to God through the teaching and proclamation of God's Word. So we see this pictured in the positive. This is what Malachi's calling leaders to. Now, as we take those truths in Malachi in the Old Testament and we move into the New Testament, things get transformed slightly. Christ comes and Christ is the fulfillment of everything in Scripture. Everything points to Him and everything points from Christ in Scripture. And so the Old Testament in many ways is preparing God's people to put their faith in God and to look towards His Messiah who is to come. And so as Christ comes, He fulfills uh, all things. He fulfills the role of the priest because He's the ultimate sacrifice Himself. He's the great High Priest. And so the role of the Old Testament priesthood gets shifted somewhat uh, in the New Testament. The role itself, the priesthood is obsolete, but the functions are still there among God's people in, in two important ways. First, all believers in the New Testament are considered priests. We are kings and priests actually. We're the kingdom of priests were kings and priests. That's used in the New Testament. That's used in the Old Testament too uh, for God's intention for His people. So we all carry that function in many ways. Christ being the ultimate priest in, in His ministry. And we though also minister before the Lord. And we minister to others in His name. So we are all priests. And in that role, we all are called to, to be messengers of the Lord of hosts. So all of us have this in the New Testament. Uh, in a substantial way. And so Paul can say in Colossians chapter 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is written to the whole church in Colossae. That you guys are to be rich in the Word and you're to admonish one another. You don't just wait for the Word from the pastors, as important as that might be. Share it with each other. Admonish one another. Be priests to one another. Be those messengers of the Lord to one another because God has things He wants to do in and through those around you. And He needs you in, in His sovereign plan to be faithful minister of His Word. To bring life and fruitfulness to others. So, in the New Testament, it's all of the people. And then secondly, the function gets passed on to pastor-teachers in an official and significant capacity. So pastor-teachers are, are really to be messengers of the Lord of hosts and teaching and proclaiming God's Word. There's a lot in Scripture about this. 2 Timothy is a great book, so just going through uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, real quick. We have it projected. Do not this is spoken to Timothy, who is a leader in the church, functioning in a, an elder, apostolic, prof prophetic sort of role, evangelist sort of role, uh, but he's as a leader. And so Paul is instructing him, and this is a pattern for all leaders and pastors in particular. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has not, no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. 
and, the, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, so you're to handle the word, so all these things happen. You're to act these ways, very much in line with what we see in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Paul is specifically addressing the man of God, and this would be pastors and teachers and leaders. So it's the Word of God that equips you to do your work. So same thing that we're seeing in chapter 2. You are messengers of the Lord of hosts. And this is a vital word, for a vital role for the people of God. And so Old Testament priests, New Testament believers, and pastor teachers are to heed this word. You are messengers and you are bringing life and fruitfulness to God's people. I was just thinking about what, you know, what sort of metaphors can I think of like this. I thought, you know, I think of a firefighter working with somebody who's being taken out of a smoky house, has smoke inhalation, and then they give them oxygen. And there's life and they breathe. That's, that's a picture of this role that you're, you're giving oxygen, you're giving life and breath as you bring the Word because it's God's living Word. You're bringing it to people who need it who otherwise are going to be asphyxiated. They need the life of the, the Word of God. Think of it as, as the people uh, at, in the end of April will have our, the marathon. People along that route, they offer water to those runners. Those runners need that water desperately to finish the race. And you're handing out water, fresh, clean, cold water for people to drink. That's what this role is. It brings life. It, it's like the farmer who raises food and brings it to the market so others can eat and live. That's, that's what this role is about. And that's what, that's what Malachi, and God through Malachi, is calling the Levites to. God deserves such leaders because He's glorious and He's good and He loves His people. And so we must act in line with this wherever we might be, whether we're a leader or not, a follower, and certainly this has application to every believer. We're to, to treasure this role and to take it seriously and to realize how vital it is. So, church leaders are messengers of God Himself. Secondly, church leaders are means of God's blessing. And that's what God addresses here in this chapter. They had lost sight of this in Malachi's day. They had lost sight of, of the wonderful prospect of faithful and fruitful leadership. They had taken their eyes off of God and forgotten about this, and they, they no longer, I think, had a vision for it. And so, so God is on a rescue mission here to reinvigorate them, to show them once again what good leadership does. They had forgotten. They no longer were looking back at good leadership and its fruitfulness, and they no longer looked forward to what it might do. They had lost sight of all these things. They had lost sight of God. And so God is rescuing them by saying, this is what it looks like. So in verse 5, we see Him describe this. Verse 5 and following, He's describing what good leadership looks like. He's describing the means of God's blessing to His people. And He says, My covenant with Him was one of life and peace. My covenant with Levi. And I gave them to Him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. So the, this 
covenant he's speaking of is, is under the covenant with Moses. So the covenant through Moses with God's people. So God rescues His people out of Egypt. He rescues them and calls them to Himself. And He forms a covenant with them. The, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. And He calls them to relate to Him under this covenant because He's been gracious. Now believe Me and relate to Me in these ways. So He gives all that instruction. And within that covenant is a, an arrangement with Levites and how they are to minister. And so God is saying, we had this covenant and it was a wonderful thing. It was a covenant I had with Levi, and it was one of life and peace that I gave them to him. That Levi and the Levites experienced life and peace in this covenant as they served. And that life and peace spread to the people. The people experienced the life of God, what it is to walk with him, to, to live uh, reconciled to God, free of sin, enjoying God, loving God, flourishing. It's a peace that was brought to them. That, that was peace in their relationship with God and a peace that affected all of life. And that's how God's peace, by the way, works. It's first a spiritual relational peace with God. That we're, we're reconciled to God. We're at peace with God. And then from that peace, that there's blessing that comes to our lives. And, and, and we can't control all how that works, but often it works out actually in things like health and blessing and, and prosperity in different ways, even material prosperity, but God weaves all that together in wisdom. We trust Him for that. Um, it flows out of that, but particularly for the Old Testament people, they were promised those things. Our promise is fulfilled ultimately when Christ returns in terms of those things, but the spiritual relational aspect is ours fully and in a more substantial way even for them. And so through this covenant, through the Levites doing their job, the people of God experience peace and life and the Levites stood in awe of God. They, they lived in fear. And this is a fear, not, not a servile fear, but a, but a reverence and a respect and enjoyment and awe of God. They saw God for who He was and, the, and, and they lived that way. They were in awe of God. And this is what the covenant looked like when it worked well. It was a, a glorious and good thing. And, and as they walked in this covenant before the Lord, as they lived in receiving the life and peace that comes through right relationship with God and, and, and then the worship and awe on their part, they had an impact on the people of God. True instruction was in His mouth and no wrong was found on His lips. So they walked in character. Like my friend Joe Bovo who not only taught me truth but modeled what it looks like to live in truth in, in faith and obedience and, and the fruit of the Spirit and love and joy and those sorts of things. So the Levites were doing those things and, and walking in integrity and speaking truth. And there was fruit because as they instructed, there was life and peace. And then it says in the end of verse 6, and He turned many from iniquity. So there's a function in the role of the priests and Levites, and again, translating that to the New Testament equivalents, of turning people from iniquity through instruction, through teaching the truth about God, through through proclaiming who He is, we turn people from iniquity. Um, and th that's what we call evangelism. It's sharing the good news, the good news of who God is, what He's done for us. And, and we all need that, by the way. We all need to be evangelized all the time. Uh, whether you've known this story and believed it since you were little or not, or you don't believe it, we need to hear this story because it functions this way. It turns us from iniquity. Because it says, here is God and who He is. He's gracious. He's glorious. He's made all things. 
He sustains all things. He's holy. And yet He's reached down and humbled Himself, as Toby read in Philippians chapter 2. He humbles Himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, to rescue us from our sins. He lowers Himself below us, and, and though we've rebelled against Him willfully, purposefully, yes, ignorantly at times, but also by choice, even though we've done all those things in His great love for us, He lowers Himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, even death on the cross bearing our sins, your sin, my sin, taking it on Himself, suffering the justice of God, the just wrath of God on the cross for our sake, and then rising again on the third day. And He reigns and He rules and He invites any and all who would trust in Him to find forgiveness and life and fresh relationship and new life in Him. This is who He is. And when we hear this good news, when we hear this, this truth, how does it function in our lives? We turn from iniquity. We say, what was I thinking choosing that versus God? Why would I want that thing? Why do I want to dabble in that temptation? Why do I want to try to live my life on my own? Because that stuff, compared to what I have and compared to who God is and His goodness and grace and what He gives me simply through faith, all I need to do is His turn and trust and I'm included in the family and I'm safe in His arms and He's with me and He uses all things for my good. Why would I ever choose that? That's how this works. That's the beauty of leaders doing what they ought to do. That they turn people from iniquity simply by instructing in the truth of the Lord. And so it's so tragic when that doesn't happen. It's so tragic when, when there are no longer leaders who speak the truth. It's so tragic when there's no longer leaders who are impacted by the truth and that shows in their character. It's so tragic when there are no longer leaders who, who will actively proclaim the truth and model what it is to walk in that truth so that they might turn others from iniquity. What a tragedy to leave people in their sin! And to not serve those who already are in the covenant who belong to the Lord and giving them fresh instruction and inspiration to turn once again and to turn to Christ and to grow in Christ. It's so tragic what's going on here. And so tragic when it would happen today. Leaders are called to, to something so much better. And the church is called to something so much better. Leaders who will proclaim and bring a sense of God and His presence to God's people. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, uh, a pastor and Welsh pastor and theologian, said the chief end of preaching is to give people a sense of God in His presence. And I think he's right. We come here to be instructed indeed, and it's through instruction and knowledge of God that we see God, but ultimately the objective in proclamation and teaching is that we would have a sense of God in His presence and we would have a sense of Him and His goodness and glory, and we wouldn't want to follow those things anymore. We, want to, we would want to be more like Jesus. More like Jesus together. More on mission for Jesus. We would love these things. That's the goal. That's the role. That's what we're called to here in Scripture. And that's the history. When, when the church prospers, it prospers because there are people who teach and proclaim the good news. Who teach and proclaim what it is to follow. John MacArthur says, you show me a church where there is strong biblical preaching and teaching, and I will show you strong people and strong ministry. You show me a church where there is weak biblical preaching, and I will show you a church with weak people and weak ministry. That's just how it goes because the Word of God is the food that makes believers mature and strong 
And it's the food, by the way, that leads to unbelievers to faith when Christ is proclaimed and put forth in truth. God uses that to, to draw people. When, when He's lifted up, He'll draw all men to Himself, right? When He's lifted up, people come and say, yes, I want that. This is what Malachi is addressing here. And so let us be a people that, that understand this and pray for this. And we'll settle for nothing less. And I'm, and I'm grateful because I, I know you guys have these convictions. And, and we as, as leaders, and, and of course you're called to this role as well, and I've talked about that, but, but we as pastors here, we need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need your accountability. We need you to come alongside and say, you know what, I'm not going to settle for less, therefore I'm going to pray for you. And therefore when we come together on Sundays, I'm going to prepare my heart to hear from God. I'm going to pray for you that you will bring a sense of God in His presence on Sunday. And I'm going to come on Sundays prepared to engage with God through your preaching. And when, I, when that's not happening, I'm going to be patient because I know you're weak and you, you need help and you're not going to be perfect. But I'm going to expect it and pray it. And I'm going to encourage you when I see it and remind you of how God's using you. And, and, and as I hear from God and His Word and I see the truth that's here, I'm going to take it home. And I'm going to mull over it. I'm going to talk about it with my kids. And I'm not going to talk about, oh, wasn't that a great message that Pastor Paul preached? I'm going to say, isn't it a great God that we heard about today? Isn't this wonderful truth here in the words? How do we live now in light of this? What does it look like to see Him for who He is and, and obey Him in line with, with His truth, with His grace, with His glory? Finally, church leaders are measured by strict standards. In line with all this, of course, it makes sense. There's so much at stake here, isn't there? The glory of God's at stake in and through His people. And so God must have strict standards for His leaders. And so we see it. it it's, it's almost a little hard to take here. It's so strong. He's going to bring on them the curse. And this is likely speaking of the curse mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28. You can read that later, but in Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, the people of God are told, if you walk in these things, there's blessing. Blessing in everything. Your life will be transformed in every way, in every avenue of life, every aspect of life. You will encounter God. There will be blessing. There will be fruitfulness. If you believe and you remain in the covenant. But if you rebel, there will be cursing. And in all those aspects where there should be blessing, there'll be a curse instead. And ultimately, you'll be driven from my presence. And that's what had happened to God's people. They had rebelled and they had received the curse and they were driven. And yet God in His great mercy rescued them and brought them back. A miracle of history. A miracle in the Bible. Uh, uh, we, it's just amazing that He brought them back. But He's saying here that, guys, if you, if you don't heed, the curse is going to come again. It's going to come to you as Levites, and it will come the, uh, to you and your children. So, wake up! It's very sobering. The, the, the consequences here. The standard is, is significant for leaders because of all that's at stake. The, the glory of God. The good of His people. So God's not going to play games here. He loves His people too much. He, he knows that His glory must go forth. And so He won't let this continue. So He's very strong in His, 
his rebuke here. And, and this is in line with the rest of Scripture because the, the qualifications and standards for pastors in the New Testament are, are significant. Now actually, if you read them, they're no different than what we all ought to strive for as believers. So there's nothing unusual other than the ability to teach and leadership. There needs to be leadership gift there too. Um, but the other stuff is just it's godliness. But a, but a pastor is called to, to this in a stricter way because they, they must demonstrate these things in order to serve in the role. We want everyone to demonstrate these things, but, but you know, you're not going to lose your membership because you're not at some level. We're, we walk patiently in these things together. But a pastor needs to exemplify these things. There's a standard. And then James, it's so sobering actually. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Because there's so much at stake. God will not allow compromise here. He deserves leaders who, who, will, who will take Him seriously, take His Word seriously, and, and settle for nothing less. He deserves leaders, deserves leaders who are shaped by the amazing Gospel of grace in such a way that they're on fire for God and, and they're seeking to grow and, and they're humble. They realize, I don't want to go back to that stuff. I want to walk in, in faith and obedience. So they make themselves accountable for the sake of of the Gospel's fruit in their lives and the sake of their ministry. That they take these things seriously and understand that a lot is at stake in the Lord. Now of course in all this, don't get me wrong, there's a place for grace. It's only by grace. It's only by His work. But it comes from taking it seriously and running to Him in His grace and looking to Him in His glory. this functions in my life all the time, this truth, and especially uh, when I first left my engineering job back in 2000. I was serving in leadership, lay leadership in my church, loved it, loved what I was doing. I, um, sometimes I think, I'd, can I go back to that? <laughs> I just loved what I was doing, involved in leading a small group, involved in uh, outreach and evangelism. Uh, and doing a job and research that I loved. And God called me out of that, though, to serve as a pastor. And it was sobering. And, and it was very sobering because that summer, this is summer 2000, we had already sold our house. We had already moved down to the location to be trained through our denomination's pastor's college. But we were still involved in our church, which was about, uh, about 45 miles away. And that summer, two of the four pastors in our church had to step down for moral failure. And they were good friends of mine. And by the way, side, just so you know, God used that to do much good in our church. It was very sobering, but God worked good through it in many ways and in their lives, and I can tell you that uh, some other time. But it hit us. It hit me. Because I thought, what do I think I'm doing? If these two godly men failed, and I just left everything to do this, what am I thinking? And, and I shared that with the senior pastor too. But I also shared with him what God had done in all that as I wrestled with it he did I think what we're seeing here in Malachi that Paul it's not about failing or not it's about setting your eyes on Jesus or not so put your eyes on Jesus look at him and his goodness and glory and his grace do that and that will take care of these other things and that was wonderfully helpful for me and I and I hope for you pastors here my brothers that are here and leaders and others and those that would aspire to this sort of leadership. The solution here is, is not to, to just merely be sober, 
and scared and know that there's a strict judgment, but to look to Jesus. Behold Him and, and let Him fill your life with faith and, and, and the power you need to follow and the joy that you need to propel you in, in ministry. The answer is to look to Jesus. But the standards are high. Rightly so. Rightly so because as so much is at stake, God has so much good that He wants to work for His church. Um, he's worthy of something so much better than what we might settle for otherwise. As we go to conclude, I, I wanted to address what happens when your leaders fail. And in some ways it's a whole other message, but, but I, I believe there's some really powerful truth in Malachi chapter 2 for those of us who have experienced leadership failure. Um, and, and I know uh, in our region, we live amidst uh, a people in New England who are highly churched. They haven't necessarily heard the good news of grace, but they're highly churched. And, and there's been scandal that has rocked their, their view of leadership and rocked their view of the church. I, I watched Spotlight, the movie about the Boston Globe's exposure of the, the scandal in the Boston Archdiocese. And it It was hard to watch. And, and you guys live amidst people who have been through this, and it's raw. And there's a lot of people who have lost any faith they had in Christ as a result. I have friends who were abused. Uh, I can name the churches that have gone through some of this, and I'm sure you can as well. So what do we do? And when I say what do we do, there's a, there's a whole answer in terms of biblical procedures and how we hold pastors accountable and things we do and all that. I don't, that's worthy of another conversation, certainly. And I don't mean that. I mean what do we do in our hearts? When we have been the ones who have gone through something uh, at the hands of failed leadership, what do we do? And whether that's through the Boston Archdiocese or some other way, what do we do? Well, I believe there is wonderful instruction and hope from the Word of God here in Malachi. First, just to see and to know that God takes this really seriously. It is no light thing when leaders fail in God's mind. And, and He's bringing warning to them and saying that basically the curse is going to come upon you and you're going to be put away. You're going to be shamed. I'm not going to tolerate that sort of leadership. And I think that's the first thing that's helpful here is to see the heart of God, that He cares about the good of His people. He cares about His mission. He cares about the glory of His name. And He cares intensely about good leadership. So, don't lose faith in God. Though you might have reason to lose faith in a particular leader because He cares about this. And He brings an answer as well and how he's instructing the leaders here. And this goes back to my illustration in my own life. There, there's comfort and help here because what he's doing in this passage is he's, is he's saying to the leaders, guys, you need to get your eyes on something that's going to propel you towards good leadership. You need to get your eyes on who I am and how I work in and among my people. 
and you need to see how good that is and how glorious that is that you would live for that and settle for nothing less. The reason, leaders, that you are failing is because you've lost sight of who I am and what I want to do in and through my people. You've lost sight of what I did in the past. You have no hope for the future, so you're compromising. And so what's the answer to them is to repent and once again look at God and who He is in His glory and who He is in His goodness to His people. And that's an answer for leaders. That's an answer for us too. Because the answer isn't to look at failed leadership. The answer is to look at God and His goodness and greatness. To put our hope in Him for our church and for what He would do in leaders and for our lives. To gaze upon Him in His goodness and glory. To look at Him and He is most clearly fully shown in Jesus. That's how we know what the Father is like by looking at Jesus. And so we look at Jesus, we see Jesus and His amazing love and His care for the outcasts and the poor and the sick and the hopeless. The way He treated women, loved and respected women in a day when women were treated as property. We see it in His teaching and His truth that was amazing to this day. The, the golden rule still is just a monumental statement of ethics. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. His replies to trick questions like render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, is served actually as a foundational truth for modern political theory. This is Jesus just teaching. This is God in the flesh. And then His demonstration of His great love and power married together in His miracles of salvation and Lordship where He demonstrates that I am indeed the Savior and the Lord over all. And then that beautiful, glorious life offered up on the cross for us. Paying the penalty He alone didn't deserve to pay so that we might receive the reward He alone deserves to get. This is who God is. This is God in His goodness and glory. It's when we put our eyes on Him that things fall into place. That leaders come and take their proper place. That our faith is restored in the church and in leadership. That our life receives peace and vitality as we look upon Jesus. So whether we've been burned by leadership, whether we aspire to leadership, whether we are in leadership, whether we're following leadership, here's the truth that Malachi points to. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at God in all of His glory and goodness. And there find what you need to be and to lead the people of God for our good and His glory. Let's pray.